0: Welcome to The Closeness Podcast, your new sexual education. My name is Tari, I'm your host, and today we're talking about words, phrases, and expressions that you no longer need to use or keep in your vocabulary. We live in a different world nowadays, and these expressions are chock full of abbreviations, strange word substitutions, memes, expressions, quips, euphemisms, expressions that make us seem or sound cool, but deep down, they usually have a negative effect on ourselves or our partner, or they just wind up being fueled by our ego. If this is your first time finding the show, welcome, but please know this is a bit of an unusual episode if you're looking for more of the sensual or sexual stuff where we really get into the nitty-gritty details of sex and intimacy. I'd probably recommend a different episode as your first choice. This one is nuanced and even a little nitpicky. I'll be the first one to admit it, but I think really important nonetheless. Now when it comes to humor, witty banter, playfulness, attractive and playful verbal sparring, I'm all for it. But being overly direct, hypercritical, rude and inconsiderate, delivering hard blows, delivering brutal honesty, it seems like a lot of people don't know where the line is, even if something like sarcasm is what sometimes sexually attracts people to one another. But some people pride themselves so much on being sarcastic that it's a requirement if you want to date them or have sex with them. I'm all for a great sense of humor, not taking life too seriously, and even sarcasm. I use it all the time and you'll probably hear some of it in this episode. But no matter who you are and no matter what kind of relationship or casual encounter you're involved in, there comes a time where it's time to get serious or talk about the relationship or act a little bit normal and not always have some sassy, crass, witty, or obnoxious retort to everything that someone says. You know, things like being real, talking about what's going on with you, or maybe opening up your heart. You don't have to be sarcastic all of the time. And in fact, what a pleasure it is to come across someone who isn't vapid or has a smirk on their face or is always making wisecrack jokes. Sometimes it's not just nice, I would say it's essential to your relationship to discuss where this relationship is going, how you feel about your partner, what you really meant when you made that comment. You don't have to have serious talks all the time, but sometimes on a regular basis, it's important to have healthy communication with one another. And so this episode helps you unlayer some of the unnecessary language that's maybe getting in the way of all of that. Sometimes we're with someone who just wants to understand what we meant. But maybe you're someone who's the life of the party, always firing back with some vague retort, something sarcastic or pointless information, trying to get people to be on your level or catch up or inform everyone that the world can't keep up with you. Well, you're probably leaving your partner, someone who you love, way more confused than you think. In fact, they probably can't truly trust you, They probably walk on eggshells with you and makes it hard to actually get to know you. This is when behavior goes from being fun, funny, and attractive even to inappropriate. Not just offensive, not just annoying, but will actually keep you from having any kind of real relationship. Communication, the way you go about it, the words you choose, it matters. So I invite you to take a peek at your most recent texts and scroll through them a little bit on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, your regular text messaging service, Messenger, Telegram, Signal, and all the rest. And I'd probably say, especially TikTok. What do your texts really look like? Are you unfathomably brief, short? Do you dissect human language and turn it into abbreviations, emoji, shorthand, abbreviations that most people don't know, but you do? Are they short, condescending, sarcastic, insulting, arrogant, cutting, or biting? Do you have a horrible habit of reducing all beautiful communication into the most minimal amount of letters humanly possible? Do you use one letter, like the letter Y or W-Y-D? Or when you don't understand part of a sentence or you don't know what the person means, do you send a question mark? And is this how you are constantly? Does it ever stop? Have you turned your incredible gift of a human brain into mush? Did you notice from your text thread that you seem to be addicted to one-word responses like, Hey, lol, sup, chillin', bet, come through, you, can't, home, M, mm, N-V-N-M, working, busy, with family all day, no, love ya, F-M-L, pfft, Or are you someone who sends endless amounts of emoji and responds and actually speaks? Fluent emoji. Do you use emoji to represent your life's emotions, such as laughing out loud, crying your eyes out, or of course, saying you don't know? If this is you, is everything a joke? Does everything need to be amusing all the time? Do you always need to be laughing? And is there a time when you ever take something seriously? What about the way you communicate with your loved one? Do you actually, in a given day, spend more time texting them? Than you do calling them or spending any kind of quality time with them in person. Are you someone who texts more frequently than actually saying hello with your voice? Do you take any response that you get from another human being, whether they called you, left you a voicemail, a voice note, or you saw them in person and get back to them with a text message? What I'm asking is, is there ever any real, connected, deep quality time spent together? Do you know how to be vulnerable? share who you are, or actually grow the relationship that you're in. So I want to share with you a collection of pitfalls to avoid, things not to say, things to say less, some new things to try out instead of the same old thing you've been saying. And of course, I'll include some new healthier habits to work on. If you really care about someone and you love them and you're invested in them, This will serve you immensely. Even if you think these expressions are small or harmless, they're mentioned here because on most occasions, they do more damage than they do good. Now, it's extremely trendy right now to not care or pretend that you don't care about anything that anyone says about you or thinks about you, but we all know that this isn't really possible. You actually have to care what people think about you on some level if you want to exist successfully in this world. In fact, you can only get so far in life by not adhering to most social norms. If I started making strange noises on this podcast right now, in about 20 seconds you'd stop listening. If someone walks by you on the street and lurches at you, in one second you'd stay away from them. If someone's blinking their eyes harshly or shaking their head briskly, if someone's walking a little too aggressively or strangely or doesn't look like he's one of us... We all have a judgment. There are social cues and norms that we must adhere to if we want to be taken seriously and we want to exist in the world today. Words carry power. They cut, they slice like a knife, and oftentimes will take longer to heal than actually physically wounding yourself, cutting yourself, or being hit. When I'm coaching, I'll often explain to couples that when men fight, we do it with our fists. Men settle arguments with wars, aggression, and physical violence. In fact. There's only so much you can escalate with most men until it turns that way. Women, on the other hand, often and most of the time fight with words. Very, very vicious words. And every single one of you listening has a story about a teacher, a sister, a mother, someone in your life that said something to you that was so horrible that it stuck with you for the rest of your life and you still think about it today. That's the impact of words and words do matter. Finally, as we're going through all of this, I want you to think to yourself, if someone spoke this way to you or used this expression on you, what would you do? Could you handle it? Would you like it? Words carry weight and they matter. So let's get started. Expression number one, we've all heard it before and many of us use it constantly. I don't sugarcoat. I tell it how it is. I'm just blunt. I speak what's on my mind. Get over it. Deal with it. Man up. Stop pussing out. Every single one of these is an attempt to tear down someone around you. It suggests that however you deliver a blow to them, no matter what you say, and no matter how strongly or negatively you say it, they should be able to deal with it because you don't sugarcoat. And then it's all under the sick and twisted guise that you're doing them a favor because, after all, you're just being honest. And perhaps because honesty is one of your highest virtues, it doesn't matter how you deliver the blow. You could package it in an insult, you could tear someone to pieces, and you can even push your own agenda as well. So it's a little passive-aggressive when you tear someone down in the name of being honest or direct. People who use these expressions are mortified by the other expression, sugarcoating. They're repulsed by it and disgusted by it, and they think it's extremely important to avoid In fact, we live in such a polarized world right now where everybody does so much sugarcoating that it's become even more vile to the blunt truth speakers. And by the way, let me just add here, totally sugarcoating and not being forthright is a very unattractive quality to me as well. Rather than assuming that your bluntness and rawness makes you real, try delivering some truth or a sentiment without a negative blow or aspect to it, without tearing someone down, telling them they're doing that wrong, calling them a name and without wrapping it in a saccharine sweet package. For example, rather than saying, oh, what are you, butthurt about it? Get over it, man. She doesn't like you. She's not interested. She chose someone else, bro. Move on. Let go. And instead of saying, oh, Timmy, you're such a beautiful man, and I know you try really hard at life, and there's someone out there for you and someone special, how about something like, ah, I don't think she's interested in you, man. I know that hurts. Or, you know, I think it's probably best if you moved on from this one. My sense is she's not interested. And this isn't scripted. This isn't something that I had planned. I just made that up off the top of my head. Simple, easy, direct. Sometimes when clients describe their partners in my office, it can sound so abrasive. Ugh, he always does this or she always behaves like that. And I get it, it can be very difficult to live with someone day in and day out. But the way that you actually want to talk to someone that you care about and love, or anyone for that matter, simply lies between the two extremes of sugarcoating and being brutally honest. We'll call this next one Concept 1.5. And that's because this expression that you never need to use ever again is an emoji. The I don't know, shrugging your shoulders, not my fault, don't know what to tell you emoji. And in fact, the funny thing about this emoji is that it's rarely used to say, I don't know the answer to this question. The way it's actually used suggests helplessness. In fact, if you're using it, it's likely that you are victimizing yourself and defining yourself as someone who's helpless. Not only that, but you might be exhibiting a total lack of accountability or responsibility. Hear me out. Here's a list of all the problems that this one little innocuous emoji represents. I don't know what to tell you. Not my fault. I didn't do it. I don't know what else to say here. Here's a sassy response followed by a shrugging shoulders emoji to deny all my accountability. Deal with it. Not my problem. I don't want to deal with it. I don't know what to tell you. It's not my issue. I didn't make the rules. I'm powerless. I'm weak. I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. I'm not willing to examine it. My hands are tied. What are you going to do? There's a huge difference in simply responding that you don't know the answer to the question, as in, I don't know, versus all of these underlying characteristics that most people use this emoji for. So if you're not trying to look helpless and you don't want to victimize yourself, or let someone know that you really don't care what they have to say, might I recommend selecting from one of 6,000 other emoji? All right, useless expression number two. Who hurt you? Oof, this one is so awful. Someone shares their opinion, someone shares their feelings, and then someone will reply, who hurt you? Completely invalidating the other person's feelings. In fact, it's so poisonous because... It assumes that whatever the other person's argument might be, it's completely irrelevant because they've been emotionally damaged goods. And the fascinating thing about this is we all carry hurt. We've all been hurt before and someone has hurt us. In fact, usually it's more often women than men if we think about it. Especially if someone is sharing their own pain or hurt and then you double down and shine a spotlight right on it by saying who hurt you. You are in fact suggesting that the only possible way they might feel this way is because they've been emotionally damaged. If you want to maintain any healthy level of communication instead, get curious. Listen. Instead of demanding who hurt them, why don't you ask them a loving, sensitive, caring, or curious question about themselves? How did you arrive at this opinion? Or how did you get there? How did you land on this decision? Tell me more about why you think this way. Hmm. Let me listen to you. Relatively useless expression number three is such an ingrained part of our culture, you probably used it ten times today so far. I'm even guilty of using it from time to time, but when a word becomes so overused and ubiquitous, and when we use it for everything, it becomes meaningless. If you use a word to describe everything, it loses its value and hardly means anything. And that word is cute. I know, ladies, this is a big one for you. Cute. I'm cute. She's cute. That's cute. It's cute. Oh, he likes me? That's cute. Is there anything left in the world that isn't cute today? Our iPhones, our cars, our computers, our interior design? For most girlfriends, it doesn't matter what you wear, how tacky you look, how trashy you look, how classy you look. You might be wearing the most abysmal piece of clothing that anyone's ever seen, but if you ask your girlfriend, she's likely to say, that's cute. As long as someone says this four-letter word, magically, it makes anything okay As long as it's cute. Spandex with clashing colors, stripes, polka dots, no rhyme or reason or fashion sense. And you're wearing it with a ripped wife beater with ketchup stains on it? Cute. Now listen, I'm not the fashion police. Do I really care deep down what you wear? No, I don't. But when it comes down to things that you actually dislike, but your girlfriend or guy friend is wearing it, doing it or saying it and you call it cute, the question becomes, how then do you actually know what is attractive and what's not? What is cute if everything is cute? Take a look at your day and catch yourself how many times you say, oh, that's cute, or, mmm, cute, or, oh, he's so cute, or she's just being cute, or that was really cute, or that little dog is so cute. Want a solution to this problem? Go to dictionary.com or allow me to assist and jump in with these wonderful things known as synonyms. If you, in fact, mean that something is attractive in a very pretty or endearing way, you might try endearing, Adorable, lovable, sweet, lovely, amazing, even though that one's about to be really played out as well. Appealing, engaging, delightful, dear, darling, charming, enchanting, attractive, pretty. The English language goes on and on. I'll even take it so far that using this word leads you to buying things for yourself that you don't need, you don't like, that don't really look good on you, all in the name of cuteness. Cute means that something is either sexually attractive or appealing or pretty, or both. I think, for instance, some women can be cute. I would go so far as to say that cuteness, when it comes to women, is a quality that falls right in between average and basic and gorgeous and stunning. She's cute, not necessarily pretty, not necessarily gorgeous or ugly or deeply unattractive, just cute, which winds up kind of making it like average, basic, a five, if you will. The next time you're in a dressing room with a girlfriend and she says, how does this look? And you know it doesn't look that great. Do you think you'll be able to pull from memory any other vocabulary? If all you can say is cute, what you're conveying to your friend is invest in this, purchase this, spend your money on this. Is beauty in the eye of the beholder? Sure. Can people wear what they want? Sure. Can you think something's cute and I might not? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, tip number one, keep an eye out on how much money you spend in the name of cuteness, which literally translates to in our society as basic. Number two, observe yourself over the next week and figure out how often you use this word to describe almost anything. Does it give you meaning? And do you think you're making an impact in the world or making your friend feel good? By the way, I don't aspire to have a cute girlfriend, have a cute wardrobe, or be a cute guy. I want to be a cut above the rest, I want to be memorable above average. I want the things and people I interact with to have special meaning to me. So don't set the bar so low with cute. The next expression to expunge from your vocabulary is it is what it is. It is what it is is basically rhetoric for saying deal with it. Or, I'm powerless in this situation. Much like the shrugging shoulders emoji, anytime anyone gets upset about anything, regardless of whether their reasons are valid to you or not, most people's answer is to say, it is what it is. You can't change it, so why stress out about it? Why thank you for this incredible pearl of wisdom? But interestingly, this expression doesn't help anyone get over anything, which is the very reason why you're trying to say it. It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't improve someone's life. No one hears the expression, it is what it is, and thinks to themselves, oh, okay, it is what it is. Why was I stressing out about this to begin with? That's not the way it works. Has anyone ever in the history of mankind been told it is what it is and had an aha epiphany moment that has solved their problem? What type of magical epiphany are you in fact expecting when you say this to someone? It has about the same effect as telling someone to calm down in the middle of an argument. When you've alerted someone to the fact that they just need to calm down, has it ever worked for you? Phrases like this can creep into our vocabulary without even noticing it. Expressions like this aren't things that you want to use regularly or in a professional setting or even with a loved one. To take an example that will probably hit home, imagine someone you love is standing in front of you and you say to them, I love you and they respond to you by being brutally honest and saying I don't feel the same way but hey it is what it is how would that land for you using an expression like it is what it is completely abdicates responsibility it shuts down the idea of creative problem-solving and it also forces you to admit to defeat so most people seem to have a really hard time taking responsibility for their actions or being accountable or simply changing their own situation for the better Why should all of this matter to you? Because nobody likes an irresponsible person. No one likes someone who's always got an excuse, never thinks it's their fault, can do no wrong, never apologizes. Someone who doesn't care how their feelings land on others and when questioned can simply say, it is what it is. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld wonders why people who use this expression exist or are alive. Seinfeld would prefer that you blow air in his face than to tell him it is what it is because he gets the exact same amount of information from that. Number five, like I said earlier, mm -hmm, like I said, oh, and like I said before, I would strongly recommend trying to minimize the expression like I said, and consequently, I would try to not repeat yourself as often if there's no need to repeat what you said so that you need to say like you said. Now, if you think it's something that bears repeating or you think it's helpful to the person listening or you feel like they didn't hear you and so therefore you need to repeat yourself, perhaps it's appropriate to regurgitate what you previously said already and then repeat it once more. And I dare say it certainly is appropriate to sprinkle this expression into a conversation once in a while. I would still say you don't need to say like I said, simply say it differently if you feel like you need to repeat it. Often I see people ask others a very simple, clean question that only requires a direct short answer. And as they begin to answer the question in long format, they often begin some long story and start speaking at length as if the person asked about their life story. When it happens to me, it always feels like these people are speaking at me instead of to me. And then before I can even make a comment like thank you or got it or okay, no problem, They're always on to, so like I said, and as I was saying, and like I said earlier, as though I said, sorry, what? Could you repeat that? Or I didn't catch that. So now I'm standing there listening to someone repeat information that I've already heard once, twice, or thrice, and they're doing it yet again. Many people will even use this expression within 30 seconds of their same expression and everyone listening got it the first time. So this causes pain for two reasons number one it assumes the other person wasn't listening and number two it just takes up someone else's time that they don't have to listen to them repeat themselves what do you do well one of my favorite solutions to this problem is to simply pattern interrupt the like i said and so as soon as i begin to hear those words coming out of their mouth i absolutely love to say oh oh, i got it the first time no need to repeat yourself thank you very much have a great day and it has stellar results We don't get frustrated. The person talking doesn't waste a bunch of air. So the solution is to just not repeat yourself and, better yet, take a pause or a breath or go, hmm, and listen to what the person you're talking to might have to say next. The second negative aspect to saying like I said is that people use it to be passive-aggressive or just flat-out aggressive. They do it by drawing attention to you and trying to point out how stupid you are by needing them to repeat themselves. They believe that they've said the same answer multiple times, even if you're asking a different question, and so they use it to make you look bad. When would an appropriate time be to use this expression? (laughs) This one actually has very limited use cases. Concept number six deals with expunging filler words from our vocabulary. Filler words. These are the things that we say before we actually start saying something of relevance. It's the way we start our sentences to try to look cool and mask insecurity. It also happens to be the way every TikTok and story and YouTube video seems to start these days. So I'm literally, sup. TM here, right? Check this out. So, I mean, I can't even, honestly. So like, no, bro, seriously, you know? So I'm like sitting in the car and, and you know what? Like I said earlier, and guys, like I said all the time, no, like literally, cause like, like you always hear me say. How can I put this? So once again, for example, I'm gonna be really honest. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. To be honest, low key, high key, middle key. Yo, that was low key. Can I low key tell you something? The thing is, for example, you know, I feel like literally obsessed. What if you just spoke from your heart or from a grounded place? If you want people to take you seriously and respect you, it's important to be an effective communicator. Have you ever started a conversation with someone and before they actually respond, every single sentence starts with, uh, um, I don't know, like, like, um, I can't explain it. You know, like, if you actually want someone to listen to what you're saying, try speaking with purpose and presence. Take a breath, think, distill it down to what's important in your head first and then speak. Of course you have freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for talking the way that you do. Concept number seven deals with sprinkling the occasional euphemism or expression or funny phrase into the conversation. And like I said earlier, it can also be fun. So if you wanna add something like, yo, off rip, or she's capping, or that's cap, or I'm not gonna lie, or the word literally, or God forbid, low key, sprinkle it in sparingly. Some others include snatched, shook, keeping it at 100, draking, hashtag blessed, that's Gucci eyebrows on fleek. And let's contrast these with some expressions and phrases or catchphrases that have pretty much gone out of style. And let me know when you hear these today, are they cringeworthy? Do they sound ridiculous? Do you even know what they mean? Are these your ankle biters? Do you want a knuckle sandwich? Come on, snake, let's rattle. Don't flip your wig, man. Huh, that girl made me bust a gut. And no, I didn't say bust a nut. I got my peepers on. Let your freak flag fly. Is that the fuzz? It was a gas. Man, that guy's a goober. Psych. Hey, stop dipping in my Kool-Aid. That chick's a total spaz. Cool beans. Man, that was bogus. Oh, that skater's sick. Give me the skinny. To the max. Keep on keeping on. Gag me with a spoon. Oh, your hair is looking choice today, my brother now i know for a fact that just hearing some of these phrases made you feel a little queasy or a little embarrassed well there once was a time in the not too distant past where each and every one of these expressions was used regularly and yet it would sound ridiculous if you use it in a bar so catch phrases expressions they come and go fast true language does not just like something classy or timeless can you have a little fun with words absolutely can you sprinkle it in that's my encouragement when it never shuts off It's all the time, and it's the only way you know how to communicate, and you just bounce from one catchphrase to the next, it makes you sound very unintelligent, and it becomes who you really are. Number nine is super easy. I feel like, I feel, or I feel that, instead of I know, I think, or conceding to actual facts. Let me explain to you what I mean. Sharing how you feel about something is perfectly fine unless you're completely fabricating it from your imagination or your special feeling place and unless it's against actual facts often people use their feelings to negate a fact by saying i feel that in the face of something that cannot be changed i feel this therefore it's wrong i feel that i just think that i just believe that and the fact of the matter is that facts don't care about your feelings For example, sometimes this happens when a significant other is letting you know what's real for them. Hey, this is my truth. This is the experience that I'm living over here. Let's say they're pouring their heart out and they say, I love you. Well, just because you don't feel that way, meaning you don't believe it, or you don't feel that they love you, does not mean that it's not true. And so many people, by the way, especially women here, convince themselves that if they feel a certain kind of way about it, there we go with another useless expression. You feel some kind of way about it? If a person feels differently than what another person is expressing when they're expressing their truth, it really doesn't matter how you feel if it's someone else's truth. Now, this can get very confusing when people conflate feelings with facts because people especially women change their mind constantly they feel differently about something from day to day even on subjects as majorly important as today i want to have kids tomorrow i don't now the next day i do and they want whoever they're with to be on board with this just because they change their mind on a whim so often for example men will express themselves with a little more intensity or assertiveness oftentimes when a man gets a little enthusiastic a woman will say stop yelling at me You're yelling at me right now, and the man hasn't even raised his voice, but I feel like you're yelling at me, but he wasn't. Factually, he wasn't. In fact, even in this podcast, right? I never yell in this podcast, but I get passionate, and sometimes women's interpretation of that is yelling, but because the majority of us think that because we felt it, that therefore it's true, this creates all kinds of problems in life. So the idea here is that feelings aren't facts, and it's important to not decide that because you feel it, it is therefore better or true. Now, most people respond, well, it's true for me. Fine, but that could also just be your truth in the moment or your thought or your fleeting feeling. And what is a feeling? Now, allow me to illuminate for you how often your feelings might be wrong. Just think about the last time you were worried about where your partner was. Maybe they didn't call, show up, or they weren't available. We've all not just had a moment like this. We've had multiple moments like this where we think, oh my God, did something happen? Are they okay? Were they in a crash? Were they in an accident? Did they get hurt? What happened? Why didn't they call? Did they hate me? Am I disgusting? All of this is a reaction to a feeling, an unfounded paranoid feeling that was 100% inaccurate to what the facts of the situation were. But in that moment, you felt it to be true. It was your truth, but that doesn't make it true, true. In fact, I'd go so far as to say your feeling was just blatantly wrong. Assumptions are also pretty terrible. I just assumed you would call me. I just assumed you weren't there, so I didn't come. I just figured you were sleeping, so I didn't call. And don't even get me started on I called you at this random time, but you didn't answer. I called you randomly and you didn't pick up, so I felt hurt. Is my hurt valid? I would say absolutely not. If you called someone and they didn't answer and you decided to feel hurt, that's not your truth. That's catastrophizing. That's an emotion. That's a feeling, and a feeling is not a fact. Did you actually feel that emotion? Yes. Does your partner need to validate it because you got hurt or offended? No. Was it an appropriate response to what happened? No. Side note, the funny thing about assumptions is no one actually ever asks. Are we still on for tonight? Hey, everything's still good. And all it takes is asking a question to check in. All right, next is next time. It's a favorite phrase amongst people who love to reject others. It's a phrase used to suggest that there's interest sexually or intimately, but there actually isn't. It's actually a way to blow someone off in a different way of saying, I'm never going to speak to you again but the other person almost never understands that that's what you're implying. Want to grab a drink with me right now? Oh, next time. But you don't even have their phone number yet. Next time is a passive aggressive way of saying that I'm not interested because it suggests that you are when you really aren't. So if you never want to see someone again, just tell them no, not next time. Number 11, when someone asks you a question, most people want a simple answer or they want to know a quick opinion about something. A yes or no, a black or white answer, certainly sometimes it can be maybe, but this next expression is about never committing to anything, never having an opinion, never standing up for yourself, never actually giving a real answer, just giving a segue of an answer that makes you feel like you've expressed yourself when in fact you've done nothing. And that is the expression colloquially known as, it depends. Well, my friends, everything depends on everything, doesn't it? Every single thing depends on a certain other situation or thing happening. It depends is not a final answer. It depends is not useful information to someone when they're asking you something. Who cheats more, men or women? It depends. You think? Do you want to be in this relationship with me? Oh, it depends. Which do you like better, A or B? It depends. You in the mood to go ice skating tonight? It depends. You want to have sex a little later? It depends. Want to grab some dinner tonight? It depends. To me, this expression falls in line with a style of wisdom that people try to dispense that sounds extremely vague and hollow and empty and very general. And again, seems to give the idea that you have something to share or you have an opinion, but you're really sharing nothing. It's like saying everyone's a little bit different or you got to figure out what works for you. Or I know you're watching this review on YouTube to see what I think about it, but you got to figure out what you want for yourself because everybody's different. Now, I'm more than well aware that everything depends and everything is nuanced. But by using the phrase, it depends, as your end-all, be-all, definitive answer to everything, it makes you once again sound deeply and profoundly unintelligent. The hilarious thing about all this, however, is that people who use this think that they're sounding intelligent when they give their response and their opinion. Rather than taking the time to think about something and give a careful, thought-out response, even arguing both sides or... Sharing what depends on what, letting someone know it depends is beyond obvious and sounds highly unintelligent. And this segues perfectly into number 12, which is another way that you would respond to a question. And rather than once again thinking about how you might feel about it or what you think about it, you respond by saying, oh, I just couldn't possibly imagine. I can't put myself in that situation, so I can't give you an answer. I've never done that, I've never been there, I've never said that, so I can't tell you how I'd feel in this situation. It really shouldn't take reality or extreme circumstance for someone to imagine if they would do something or not, put themselves in a situation or not. So I find people hide behind these two expressions. It depends, I can't imagine, I haven't done it before, so I just couldn't give you a clear answer. And while these things are true, it's very valuable to be able to compile a succinct answer about how you feel in the moment because it helps people know where you stand and to stand for something to put your foot down and say, here's how I feel about it is a very important part of becoming a grown adult. So many of us are way too caught up on, I don't want to offend. I just want to keep the peace. Someone might get upset about this. I don't want to say the wrong thing as opposed to just thinking, feeling, and expressing yourself, you're allowed, and it's a very attractive quality. Number 13 kind of falls in line with the previous expressions as well. And it is, oh, I can't explain it. Usually spoken by someone who can talk for hours and hours and hours with their friends, but somehow can't explain what they're trying to say, even though they're using thousands of words. Often this also comes on the tails of something that someone wants in a relationship, but they just can't explain why or how or why they want it, how to get it or what it is. And it's usually something that they expect from the opposite sex. He better send me money. He should be more dominant. He should take care of me. He should be chivalrous. He should open doors. He should be this tall. He should have this kind of abs. He should pay for all my dinners and all of my expenses. He should pay to get my nails done. But when you ask them why, why should someone actually do these things for you? The answer often becomes, and this is a direct quote, I can't explain it. It's just like my preference. It's like, I don't know, like, it's like be a man, you know, like, because I get what I deserve and I don't know how to say it. I can't, I don't know. I just can't like, like, I don't know. Like, I just can't explain it. Well, why can't you explain it? What exactly is preventing you from doing so? Is it difficult to think? Is it hard to formulate words? Is it too much to ask to ponder on something for a moment and feel inwardly? and let us know what you feel. People find this answer so infuriating that it's absurd that it even gets spoken. Because most importantly, why would you not be able to explain something that you expect, demand, and want? So many people feel they're entitled to something or that they expect it. They'll know it when they see it. It's what they deserve. But when pressed for a why, they just can't explain it. This statement is unfortunately often backed up by another useless statement known as it's complicated. Usually these types of expressions are due to someone having a certain expectation of the world. Someone should do something for me. Someone should take me to dinner, buy this for me, treat me to this kind of lifestyle. They should do these things for me because I know my worth and know my value and I deserve it. What's the solution to this problem? Don't ask for and expect things that you don't have a valid why for. Most things we want in life, in fact, everything we want in life, comes down to how we believe it will make us feel in the having of it. And then, furthermore, we believe that we're going to feel better than we do right now once we have it. If you can come up with a strong enough why, you actually can have anything in life. All right, useless expression number 14 I'm so picky. Usually followed by, I have standards, I'm very choosy, I'm very selective. First of all, who do you suppose uses this expression more, men or women? Most people have never heard a man speak such words. So if every woman thinks that she's got very high standards and that she's very picky and choosy with her partners, but 80% of divorces are initiated by women and 90% of divorces are initiated by women if they're college educated, what does that say about a person's ability to be particular, selective, choosy, or picky? I mean, I can rest my case there, but if you have a string of exes or previous lovers or several people who have sex with you who you no longer talk to and you're no longer associated with, how picky can you really be? Do you have people on Instagram, Snapchat, or Facebook who you've blocked and they are people who you've also been intimate with or had sex with? Then you're not so picky. We all have chosen people in our past who are not a great fit for us. Who here can look back on all of their exes and say, he was amazing for me at the time, she was the perfect one for me at the time, everything was exactly as it should have been. I love this as a spiritual approach, but if you have, then why did they all come to a screeching halt? Has it always been the other person's fault? Number two, we don't really have a choice when it comes to attraction. We don't generally get to choose who you like and who you don't. There are certain qualities and characteristics and fitness markers that get us excited. So that, by default, does not necessarily allow us to be all that picky and choosy. Number 15 is diagnosing mental illness when you are not in a position to do so and you are not a doctor. Using expressions such as, oh, he's a total misogynist. Oh, my ex was so toxic. Or, this is what I hate about the patriarchy. Oh, uh, he was so rude. I hate toxic masculinity. Oh, they're a total psychopath or sociopath. How is it that every single person's ex is always a narcissist? How is it that everyone's ex is always controlling? So we live in a world where we're now vomiting psychological and clinical diagnoses on people. And we use these words interchangeably with normal everyday conversation. So it starts to make all of our current partners and ex-partners sound like horrible, terrible people, because it makes most people feel a strong hatred or sense of disgust towards people who are flinging these words around because it's really like a strong defamation of character. How about just softening the tone? Joe can be a little selfish sometimes. Sometimes Jessica is a little self-absorbed. Jennifer sure has some interesting preferences or everybody's allowed to have preferences, but hers are a little stronger than others. Or can you imagine if someone actually took responsibility and said, I'm feeling hurt because I'm not getting the attention I deserve, instead of, he's a narcissistic sociopath who never pays attention to me and only cares about himself. Number 16 is the idea that speaking poorly about someone else or insulting them, degrading them, or firing back is somehow a very attractive thing to do. Talk your shit. Shots fired. How are you going to clap back? How are you going to fire back? Here's a 15-minute YouTube video of someone reacting to something that someone said. In a rap battle, the entire audience goes crazy and applauds and screams and loses their mind when someone insults another person. In other words, people celebrate how well they tore someone else down. If you ever watched a roast of someone on YouTube or Comedy Central, you'll see an hour show of someone being ripped to shreds all in good fun. If you really listen to some of the things that come out of these comedians' mouths, you will not believe how cold, biting, and wildly rude and degrading that is. At least to me, they sound like things that would stick with someone for the rest of their life, playing these sentences over and over in their heads. And I know a lot of you out there can't wait to say, it's just humor, it's just comedy. Gotta have a thick skin if you're gonna survive. And I know these are the same kind of people who hate sugarcoating and love to give brutal honesty. And yes, certain things should be water off a duck's back. But again, words carry weight. They can be very poisonous or they can be uplifting. To me, these roasts, these rap battles, it's all about public humiliation. And somehow everybody's in on the game. People get dressed up, wear tuxedos, go to a formal event. It's done in a beautiful theater. And yet the content, the energy of it, the vibe is really base. What's the answer? Consider when you speak and when you open your mouth, whether you are uplifting or bringing people down. Do you need to fire back, clap back, and fire shots? Can you bring something light, friendly, and constructive to the conversation? Or are your words filled with hate, anger, disgust, and rage? Useless expression number 17. Someone asks you a very personal question and you say, why do you ask, and the only thing they can come up with is, Just curious, yeah, but why do you really want to know that? Oh, just curious, yeah, but what's the reason behind that? What prompted this? Oh, I'm just curious, usually followed by an enormous amount of shrugging, eye blinking, and hair tossing. So here's another expression that's hollow, empty, and has no meaning behind it. Here's why this one is so seedy. I'm just curious gives the listener the impression that you actually are interested in knowing and that you're neutral about it, that whatever the response is, you're fine one way or the other. So you're usually trying to solicit some very private and personal information without sharing anything about yourself under the guise of curiosity, as if that's a good enough answer into itself. What are a couple examples where you've said just curious in the past in response to something that you've wanted to know? but it's a total lie that you're just curious. Did you sleep with her? Do you find her attractive? Where did you say you were last night? Do you like her? Why? Oh, I'm just curious. You might as well just say, because I wanna know, or because the grass is green. Just curious is often a way that someone tries to keep all of their cards to themselves while exposing a weakness or lie in someone else. In fact, that question is so dangerous that it carries judgment, She or he may or may not sleep with you again, depending on what you say. They may or may not talk to you again, depending on what you say, all because of their feigned curiosity. If someone was really just curious, but you didn't care about the answer one way or another, then why ask it at all? Now, on the bright side, true curiosity is a very good, healthy thing. Kids are curious about everything. Why does this do this? Why does that work like that? And the way to use curiosity correctly is when you're reflecting on your own behavior. What an interesting proposition. Hmm, why do I feel so down right now? Why do I feel so vengeful or angry? Why do I feel so insecure that I want to lash out at someone else? That's so curious. Why am I upset or bothered by this? Curiosity about your own state of mind will help you know yourself. And that is a far better use of curiosity. Useless expression number 18. I'm not like all of those other girls. You know the ones, all those other ones, not me. I'm not like any of those other ones that you've met before, no matter who they are. It just begs the question, how does every girl know who all those other girls are? How do you know? And how does every girl think that they're not like every other one? Some philosophy for you. If every girl says that she's not like every other girl, but every girl is putting every other girl into the same category and we're talking about different girls, how is every girl not exactly like every other girl? And furthermore, how would you even know what any of these other girls are truly like? Incidentally, every girl also thinks that she's very special, there's no one else like her, So then is every single girl special and every single one is unique and unlike anyone else? We could say this for men too, but you generally don't hear men running around using expressions like this. But if you're a woman listening, how many times have you said all men are the same, all men want the same thing, all men are trash, all men are simple? Are all men the same, but you're unlike any other woman? Unless you have some sort of excellence in a certain area or field or a predisposition to be genetically gifted in some way or another, or perhaps you've dedicated a large portion of your life to studying something, you very much likely are going to carry characteristics and qualities that are just like all those other girls and all those other boys. Because there are only so many qualities and traits that make up other people. We're not all that different. There's a spectrum. Now, we might fall in love with the beautiful and endearing qualities that we see in someone, the way they bite their lip, or little bits of asymmetry or vulnerability. There are, of course, certain qualities that do make us unlike anyone else. But in many ways, you really are just like all those other girls. Which will probably make you want to say expression number 19, who hurt you? You sound jaded and upset, and so therefore, because someone has hurt you, or I believe someone has, I can't really listen to anything that you say. But also, because you're hurting, I'm not going to take you seriously, and I'm not going to spend any more time with you either. I'm hearing that you've had some really bad experiences with men or women or in situations, and so I'm going to contribute to that by asking you who hurt you to shame you for it, and then also probably ignore you. Now, I don't use expressions like this very often, but who hurt you and why are you so jaded is shame language. I see that you're suffering, so I'm going to highlight this and point it out to you to make myself look better. We're also suggesting that they're not as good of a person as you and that you're better. Why? Because you haven't been hurt before? Of course you have. It's also never assumed that what the person is saying might be right or accurate. It's never the case that a person might be justified in feeling what they're feeling. You believe that the fact that they're hurting invalidates them and invalidates anything they have to say. What's the answer to this one? Once again, take a nice deep breath. Pick your battles, save your judgment for something else. If someone else is upset, yes, they're clearly upset and you don't need to add more to their pain. Maybe get... ooh dare I say, curious, genuine curiosity about why they might be feeling that way. And then you can actually have a productive conversation. Expression number 20 usually comes about before sex, during sex, after sex, in the middle of sex. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm so not like this. How is it that everyone has these exact same expressions at the ready, ready to fire off? Was everyone sort of given a book at birth that said, anytime someone asks you anything or says anything, just fire off these basic ass responses? I want to encourage you all to think outside the box, to be your own person. If you want to be special, if you don't want to feel that you're just like everyone else, well, got to say some different things. I can't believe I'm doing this and I'm so not like this is an expression that men have heard so often they question if they're all having sex with the same women. How do billions of people have the same canned, verbatim, generic, word-by-word responses as everyone else? Gosh, you know, the more I think about it, the more it makes you sound like all those other girls or all those other guys. (laughs) Oh yes, I did. I'm really picky, I'm not basic, I'm not like all those other girls, I can't believe I'm doing this. Who hurt you? I don't know. I have standards. It just depends. Why do you all use the same basic phrases? Could it be that you're just like everyone else? If you want to differentiate from others, you've got to do something different. You can't use the same words, reactions, and expressions as everyone else. Moral of the story, instead of being shocked and in disbelief that you're having sex right now, how about celebrating your responsibility and your ownership of the situation for doing something that you want to do and decided to do, owning your choices, and having a little fun? How can we put useless expression number 21 into words? Hmm... I think you're trying too hard. You're a little much. What will be, will be. Let's just let it flow. If it's meant to be, it'll be. No one should do anything. Let's just see what happens. Don't try to make anything happen. If we get there, we'll get there. If not, we won't. Don't try to force it. Just let it flow. To illustrate this a little bit better, let's say person A and person B want to spend a little romantic time together. They wanna have sex. And they both like each other. And person B is saying, well, let's not force it. I don't want to rush things. I want it to happen naturally, on its own, by itself, spontaneously. Just chill. Let's keep it relaxed. If it happens, it'll happen. If it's meant to be, it'll be. If you're supposed to be inside of me, it will just happen on its own. And then the big killer, chemistry is either there or if it isn't. I don't know how to create it. I don't know where it comes from, but I'm going to know if it's there and I'm going to know if it's not. If you were in person A's shoes listening to all of this, what would you say? What would you do? Would you scratch your head and think, do I just sit here and wait? Do we just chit chat and then magically our clothes come off? If I'm not meant to pursue or initiate or move things forward and we both like each other and it's just going to happen on its own, is this some sort of magical spell that makes it happen? Who takes action when someone says just let things happen on their own I wonder to myself does someone suddenly feel like a rumble between their legs clothes just fly off magically and sex just starts happening blindly on some level it requires the will of someone else to do something now person B might think to themselves oh this just happened on its own it happened so naturally but what I feel like person B often doesn't realize is that it took thought intention planning action decisiveness, assertiveness, confidence, and in some cases, dominance, to make it happen. Number 22. I recently heard this deeply moving and transformational quote. I look for someone who has, like, shit going for them, that, like, has their shit together because, I don't know, I don't like messy people who, like, (laughs) like, just get your shit together. We're all adults. Like, at this point in my life, I wouldn't want to hook up with someone who doesn't have their shit together. Like, why? Why? I'm young, but I've always been mature for my age. Oh my goodness. Well, here we have an example of someone getting angry with an imaginary person who doesn't have their life together. But what I really think is at play here is the following women by default have inherent value they don't need to try they don't need to do they don't need to become anything once a girl becomes a woman she instantly becomes desirable in the sexual marketplace or the dating field she doesn't need an mba and she could work at mcdonald's she could have huge breasts or small breasts she could be nice or mean it doesn't really much matter how she behaves she'll always be able to find a mate or someone to sleep with her Men, on the other hand, must earn their value. We've got to become something to be desired by women, whether it's status, money, developing our bodies through extensive weight training or some sort of physical activity. We've got to become a celebrity or well-known figure or in today's parlance, an influencer of some sort or a YouTube personality. So a man who hasn't invested a lot of energy and time and money into becoming who he needs to become, in this woman's mind, doesn't have his shit together. But when women say this, it can really mean anything. It could mean, oh, he lives at home with his mom, or he just has a one-bedroom apartment, or he has roommates, or he just has a regular house, or he only has one mansion. It could mean he has no job or a job, or a crappy job, or even a job where he makes less than 100000 a year, which is what most women are concerning themselves with these days, even if they make a fraction of that and they're supposed to be able to make equal. Maybe he makes a ton of money but doesn't have a purpose, and so this dries her out and turns her off. All of these things tend to be important to women because women look for and select men who they think, not me saying, they think are superior to them. Women do not want their equal or someone of lesser value. And the interesting thing is, in today's reality, the more a woman becomes a boss babe or a bad bitch or whatever you want to call it, as she begins to move up that ladder of being super successful and super independent, the less likely it will be for her to find someone who's a match because the requirements will be that this man makes more money than you is more driven than you, has a stronger or bigger vision or purpose than you, be taller than you, be more confident than you, be more sexual than you. All of these areas, he needs to be superior to win you over, and you're already trying to outdo yourself in those areas by being a strong, independent, successful woman. Now, do I have any problem with strong, independent, successful woman? course not. I love successful, intelligent women. But lowering your standards, lowering what you'll take from a man, is something almost no woman wants to do in any way, shape, or form. A better answer is to recognize that there may need to be some bettering or changes in yourself, in your own lifestyle as well, if you want to attract the kind of person who has and meets all those standards. Number 23, I constantly see shows where women are asked, what turns you on in a man? And the response is often, I just have to have that energy, like that big dick energy. If you also ask tons of women, do you like nice guys? Most will say no or laugh or get really uncomfortable. If someone's interviewing you for a show or you're on TV or even if you're doing a live podcast and they say, what do you like? And your answer is big dick energy. No one's going to know exactly what you're talking about. Generally, we know you're talking about confidence and someone who just comes at you with all the right moves. But if the guy does all the right things, but he's not your type, or you find him unattractive, you're going to be repulsed by said big dick energy. Along the lines of big dick energy and other vague expressions that people use when describing what they're looking for in their partner, might I recommend that rather than being vague, you try to be a little more descriptive. Do you say, it's all about a vibe, it's all about the energy, it's all about a feeling? All of these expressions do absolutely nothing to help a partner, especially a man, understand what he needs to do to get closer with you. And don't you want your partner to understand you and know what you want? Let's enjoy another quote from a woman who's got a lot of men in her DMs and who also thinks she's incredibly special. Quote, I really think it's funny how like the men think they have like a shot with me. Like they send you a direct message and then they actually think they're going to meet me? They really think they're going to get my number. You're not special. I'm sorry. You're not special. End quote. How is it that everyone thinks they're so damn special but no one else is? Number 24 is about creating fights from nothing. I was listening to an interview where someone said, you can't tell me to do this the person listening replied, I didn't say you can't do that. But then the first person picks a fight and doubles down by saying, well, you can't tell me what to do, period. Thus creating conflict out of thin air. Many people can relate to spending time with a partner where everything is fine and then before you know it, there's an argument in the air. Almost like their partner just couldn't help themselves. They just had to start some shit. What's the solution? Don't pick imaginary fights to begin with in case this was somehow revelatory to you. Number 25 is expressing judgment or the constant plea from the peanut gallery to not judge. Don't judge. Don't judge me. You're so judgy. Ew, he's judging me. Just love me. What does it mean to actually judge? To judge means to form, give, or have as an opinion or decide about something or someone, especially after thinking about it carefully. Well, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? Judging actually means you're allowed to have one opinion or another. It could be favorable or it could be negative or it can be neutral. When you pass judgment on something, you can say, I love this ice cream. I judge it to be very delicious or I just don't care one way or another. I'm neutral. That's my judgment. But today when people say don't judge, what they're actually asking for is is for you to not think poorly or speak anything poorly about what they do and don't hold them accountable or responsible for their decisions. Let me say that again. People today don't want to be held responsible or accountable for their own choices and decisions. They just want to have fun and do what they want. And when you hear that, oh, just let everyone be, be who you are, just do what you want to do. And if you don't hurt me and I don't hurt you, everything's okay. It all sounds okay superficially, but everything has consequences. Every action has a reaction. Why would someone only ever think positively about you regardless of your behavior, especially if you have deplorable behavior? For example, no matter how much alcohol you may drink, how many drugs you might mix, how many pill dependencies you might have, should everyone just not judge? how much sex they have, how hard or not hard they work, whether they spend their life shopping and sitting at home or playing around the internet or playing video games all day. Everybody wants to be seen in a perfectly favorable light, which hearing it that way sounds a little absurd, right? I would say most people today think that if you're not their best cheerleader, always giving compliments, admiring, giving them attention, supporting their work, their energy, their beauty, then there must be something wrong. They want you to constantly be validating and pouring attention into them because they are fundamentally insecure or wildly insecure. How does this play out day to day? Well, I'm gonna get wasted for the fourth time this week. Please don't judge. I had sex with three people today, but don't judge. I just slept with my best friend's partner, but I need you to hold me in the highest esteem and see me in the best light like I'm a flawless person, like I'm a 10. Don't judge suggests you shouldn't think for yourself. Don't have any opinion unless it's one that I want you to have. There's not a human alive on the planet today, unless you've been under a rock for 20 years, who does not have a strong opinion about what someone else does or does not do. Nobody. In fact, if you monitor yourself, you probably can't go five minutes or five seconds without having a judgment about something. People are judging. Is she bigger than you, taller than you, prettier than you? Are her breasts rounder than yours? Or is she stronger than you? Is her hair thicker? It goes on and on. So it's impossible to ask someone to not judge. It can't be done internally. They might hold their tongue. They might not say anything, but you can't stop them from thinking it. We live in a world where there's a strange expectation that we need to be constantly understanding of others and subservient to others because they might be suffering. But anytime someone is treating you poorly, I don't think it's always the right choice to dig deep and consider that they might be going through something worse than you. Do I think that's an incredible spiritual quality? Yes. Do I think we can aim to be that way? Yes. It's about being polite and friendly, my friends. It's something our world is truly missing. It's my belief that if you are in public, if you want to be seen publicly or you interact with people in the outside world, it is everyone's job, duty, and expectation to simply be cordial, courteous, friendly, kind, and polite to those around us. Yes, we should honor our own boundaries. No, we don't need to smile to make anyone else happy. Yes, we need to listen to ourselves. And no, you don't owe anybody anything other than a little bit of respect and courtesy. All right, useless phrase, number 26, I don't wanna argue. I'm not here to argue. I'm not gonna argue with you. I don't wanna argue right now. Usually in response to one very non-argumentative statement that is different than how you feel about it. If you don't wanna argue, the simple answer is, then don't. If you don't wanna argue when someone says, I don't feel like going tonight, or I don't wanna do that right now, don't make it a fight consider that other people have different opinions outside of what you believe. The kind of person who uses this expression is usually the one starting the argument by their tone and by using this very phrase. In fact, it wasn't an argument until someone said that, and then it became hostile. So consider if your partner is telling you an opinion or a feeling or sharing what's going on for them or simply letting you know that they feel differently about the situation. Give the benefit of the doubt that they're not trying to cause a scene or cause you distress or create a situation. I don't want to argue is something that's whipped out and pulled out or retaliated with so quickly that no one else even has the chance to form an opinion or express a preference before someone tells you that they're not here to argue. Why are people so quick to disappear or run away or get frightened like little delicate animals anytime there's a little bit of a conflict or a little bit of a disagreement or even just Something where they were flat out wrong. Why make it an argument? Just have a conversation and move forward. Number 27, we touched on a little earlier, and that's the expression known as, it's complicated. It's so complicated. It's so complicated, I can't even explain it. Are you in a relationship right now? Oh, that's complicated. Is it? Or is it simply that they won't commit or that you're doing something wrong? Or is it just that you want one thing and they want something else? Is it that complicated that you can't describe it and you can't distill it down to two sentences? Usually what's going on is one partner isn't compromising on something. Someone's not establishing a boundary or someone's allowing one of their boundaries to constantly be crossed. Maybe they really love someone but they're only feeling like the other person likes them. It's really not all that complicated. Think it through for a moment. Get it all straight in your head and try to speak in intelligent sentences. Number 28, I think you're gonna know what I'm talking about immediately if I start referring to myself as a god, your lord, your liege, you can call me his majesty, your king, or a divine masculine being. Chances are most of you will think I'm either crazy or a total narcissist. You probably wouldn't want me dating your sister or your daughter. You'd probably think I'm super arrogant or full of ego. And yet, somehow in our equal society, there seems to be absolutely no problem whatsoever with any female referring to herself as a goddess, a queen, someone who's walking the path of her divine feminine, a high priestess. Thousands of goddess circles and goddess gatherings are hosted every year. And let's remember here, these are not women or girls. These are not human beings. These are divine feminine goddesses. For me, this language doesn't do much other than bolster someone's ego. If a man calling himself a king or a lord sounds arrogant, or a man who has too much pride is unattractive to a woman, but a woman constantly sees herself as a goddess, how can she not see herself as someone better than any other human being? Don't we already do enough of that already? And this is coming from someone who actually does believe in the divine masculine and feminine. But if you refer to yourself as a goddess or a high priestess to demonstrate how much better you are than others or how much better your circle of goddess female friends are, or more to the point, how much more evolved you are than anyone else, it's actually going to create a lifelong problem for you. I think healthy self-esteem is good, confidence is great, understanding your God-force within is fine, but a lot of this behavior creates expressions like, if he wants to be with me, he needs to show me that he's worthy. And do you ever see a woman trying to prove how worthy they are? If you were with a partner who you loved a lot, and someone referred to him as that man over there, and he overheard that and said, listen, I'm a demigod, how long would that last? <laughs> how long would that relationship last? All right, winding it down with the last two, number 29 and 30. It's a very delicate matter known as flipping the script, and it happens when your significant other decides to share a piece of themselves with you, let you know why they're hurting, and opens up to you, but you in turn flip it and make it all about you, usually causing a fight and argument, usually crying, and usually making the person stop paying attention to what they need and basically just make it a big scene about yourself. And here are a few examples of what an incredible communicator might say that in turn causes someone else to flip their lid and have a terrible reaction. It hurts me when you do this. Babe, I really want to get this right. Can we talk for a few minutes? Or, babe, it's really hard for me to not hear from you for this long or this many days. Or, you know, I understand you're not a big texter, but can you at least call me to let me know you're okay? Or, Let me know when you land safely. When you vanish for hours on end late into the night and I have no idea where you are, that really causes a problem in our relationship. Could you call me for 10 minutes? Or when you prioritize Facebook and Instagram over our relationship, it hurts. When I've called you a couple times and you haven't gotten back to me, but I see you posting a story to your Instagram, that stings. Or I notice that you see all of your likes and comments and respond to everyone on social media. But when I text or call you, you don't answer, or it feels like I'm at the bottom of your list and I'm your husband. I want you to prioritize me in this relationship. I hear you say words like I love you, but your actions speak louder than words. Clear examples where your partner is expressing true hurt, and maybe they feel deprioritized or unimportant, and you know that there's been a change in your behavior. Maybe you're not using sweetie, honey, baby, loving words anymore. Maybe you're not using the same emoji that you once used. Maybe you know you're being withdrawn, cold and distant. When a partner opens themselves up to you to that level, when they're raw and tender and vulnerable, it really does fall on the other person to stop almost anything that they're doing if it's not an emergency or crisis. It requires you to jump in and care for your partner, care for the situation and show them that you matter. This is where trust is built or it's completely destroyed and lost. It's not about getting back to them when they have some time when it occurs to you when you check your phone or when you get to it or feel like it putting them at the bottom of your priority list after you check your social media if you care for and love someone your response time should reflect that immediately barring the obvious times when you're in meetings or truly can't respond You want to show them that you can show up for them when they're asking for your help because those are actually the times that it counts. That's what it means when someone says, I've got you or I've got your back. It's also certainly not okay to get offended and feel attacked when someone is trying to bring to your attention that they're suffering and then retaliate against your partner after they've opened up and expressed their heart to you. You don't wanna use nasty phrases like, I just feel like it's never enough for you, or I can never make you happy. It seems like you always want something from me. When someone's asking you for a little more or a little effort and you tell them that it's never enough, I think you pretty much tank the relationship. Maybe you've had some basic responses like, oh, I'm sorry you're hurting, but I'm with my friends right now. Or, babe, I know, but I'm working. What do you want me to do? I'm traveling, I'm busy, I'm all around town, don't you see? Didn't you check my stories? And I think one of the worst ways to be treated is to be really nice to your partner, but not budge an inch. I see you're in pain, and I'm sorry you're in pain, but no, I'm not going to call. Or no, I'm not going to come home, or I'm not going to give you a hug, or I'm not going to give you any love and affection. Oh, you're feeling hurt and distant? I can also be hurt and distant. Saying, I'm sorry you're hurting, does not solve the problem. You ever come across someone who exaggerates when you express your pain to them? What do you want me to do? Just call you and text you all the time and just not do anything except sit by my phone and call you? Please understand, I'm working here. Don't you see how hard I'm working, even though I found time to be with this person and that person and this person? So number 30 is any kind of retaliation that makes you the victim when your partner is coming to you for help, love, and support. When your partner's hurting, it's not the time for you to bring up or air out the stuff that's bothering you. It's time to listen to them. You can bring up your stuff a couple days later or the following week, but right then and there is usually not the place. You deciding to suddenly take space or pull back more from your partner is actually going to be devastating to your relationship and most likely cause incredible pain. It obliterates trust and it creates deep resentment that can only be solved by giving love. To repair something as severe as this, it can often take weeks or months or it'll just destroy the relationship because a certain level of trust is broken and it makes the person who comes to you in need feel like they can't trust you, that you're not safe, and that their feelings will never be met because you're just going to flip it around on them. If you can't manage to respond in a healthy way yourself, go get a therapist or come see me or get yourself a coach and have your conversations mediated until you can hone those necessary communication skills. What's the answer to this problem? It's actually quite simple. Understand that if your partner is expressing something to you or they're upset, it's because they're hurting. And they do need something from you, a little presence, love, and support not endless love and support, not stop everything for days or weeks. It's usually just a few present moments of love and care. It simply requires you to not be reactionary. No need to self-deprecate and say, oh, I never do anything right, or I failed again, or nothing I do makes you happy. All you have to do is acknowledge that what you are doing is hurting someone else. How about simply asking, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to help? My God, I think I'd faint if I heard someone ask me that question. What can I do to make it better? And then if it's within you to do so, do something about it. Show them, help them, love them. It almost always just requires some presence. And I assure you, it's not your partner asking you for 10 more dates this week or for you to run 50 more errands or to text them 100 more times. It's nothing outrageous like that. Saying I'm sorry is really only a starting place. Sorry for what? And even if you can say what you're sorry for, are you really genuinely sorry? Or are you going to behave differently? Just saying I'm sorry doesn't mean a whole lot if it's not followed by action and consistency over time. If all you've got are words, I'm sorry, and I feel bad, and I don't want you to feel bad, what are you really doing for the relationship? How are you showing up? What are you bringing to the table? Your partner needs to feel like they can share things with you in a safe space without having it flipped around and leaving them feeling attacked. And that, my friends, concludes quite the rant on over 30 expressions, catchphrases, and things that we no longer need to say or that we can expunge from our vocabulary. Thanks for joining me on this very interesting journey through language today. I hope you got a lot out of it and that you feel inspired to love your partner even better than you ever have before. Now, if you're ready to take the next step and come in for some sex, intimacy, and relationship coaching, please visit cravecloseness.com forward slash intake to get started. Or you can subscribe to the podcast at youtube.com forward slash closeness or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Thanks for listening and have a great day.